Last year in January, our daughter McKinley was due, and, and it, it was an amazing experience when she was born on January 5th of last year. It, it's so amazing. Those of you who are parents know about what this experience is like. Unlike anything else, you can't describe it to someone until you go through it, and it just completely transforms your life. So it was just this ama- amazing experience of joy when my daughter McKinley was born, but then the very next moment, the nurse grabbed her because McKinley wasn't breathing. And I had no clue what was going on. I was freaking out. And uh, finally they got all this fluid out of McKinley's lungs. Um, But then the nurse took her and ran her out of the room. And I was like, what is going on? Where's my daughter? I didn't even have a a chance to hold her or anything. So I made sure that Melissa was okay. And then I ran out of the room down the hallway following this, uh, this lady nurse. And I knew where we were going because as a pastor I had visited the hospital. And I knew we were going into the NICU, the neonatal ICU. And they took McKinley back there and they set her uh, in this little crib thing and and they put an oxygen hood over her because, yes, she had started breathing and they got the liquid out of her lungs, but she wasn't breathing very well. In fact, her lungs were just convulsing, just moving up and down. I'd never seen anything like this small little girl. Her lungs were heaving bigger than anyone I'd ever seen in my life. And I, and I noticed, and I was talking to the nurse, and I could tell that the nurse kept increasing the oxygen in this hood for McKinley. And as she increased the oxygen, McKinley's oxygen level was going down. And I couldn't figure out what's going on. Why is this happening? And, and they kept increasing and increasing, and I was freaking out. We had waited so long to have McKinley, five years, and we were so excited to get her. And I was thinking, God, why did you give us this girl? And now, is she going to die? Can can she not breathe? Was she born? Was her lungs wrong? What's going on? I had no idea. I had no idea. And I was afraid. And I was praying and praying and praying, God, help her, help her breathe, help her breathe, just breathe breath to her lungs. And I could just see the dial as she was increasing the oxygen, waiting a little while, increasing it some more, the nurse, that she got to the point where the oxygen couldn't go any higher underneath this hood. And still McKinley's oxygen levels were dropping. And I thought, how can we get through this? How is she going to survive? And I was terrified. And I know at at different times in our lives, we all have those moments where we are filled with fear. How can I make it through? Whether it's with a loved one like that, maybe it's a physical ailment, and you think, I don't know how we're going to get through this. Is there a way through? Is this the end? We we become so... uh, covered with fear we don't know how to think correctly that's what happens to me i can't think straight uh we don't even know how we can get through and we have those moments in our life where fear can can control us and how do we get through because in this series what we're learning to do is see the unseen and and part of the problem with that in our lives we see things we see things that are very hard and we see no way through it that's what happened to me in that moment when i was filled with fear And we're going to see it today in our story with Elisha's Elisha's friend and servant who's filled with fear. How do we get through? And what I hope today is that we can learn to see that God has a power beyond anything that we can see with our physical eyes. That we can see as our big idea today is that even if you can't see it now, God is at work. Even if you can't see a way out, all that you see is the problems, the hardships, and you say, I don't know how I can get through this. God is at work, even right now. And that's what we're going to learn today. So we're going to jump into our story, 2 Kings chapter 6, and we jump into the middle of a war. 
Now, we were introduced to these two nations that are at war la- uh, two weeks ago when we talked about the general from the nation of Aram. Do you remember? Anybody remember the general's name? Naaman. That's right. First service didn't remember his name, so kudos to you guys. All right. Naaman. Naaman was like the top general for the Aramean nation. And at the time, two weeks ago, these two nations were at peace. Israel and Aram. They were neighbors. And Aram is modern-day Syria. We have a map of that here. So that you can see this map that there's the Aramean nation, uh, which is modern-day Syria, and Israel. This was the northern ten tribes of Israel um, that formed a nation. And they were at war now. So they had been peace, and they kind of fought back and forth in time of peace and time of war. And the Bible, you, you might not know this, but the Bible isn't always in chronological order. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And in this section, it's kind of hard to tell when the battle's going on. When it's, because next week, we're going to actually jump forward uh, quite a ways in time, and so you never know when things are going on. And then the week after that, it kind of jumps back in time. So it's kind of hard to know chronologically how things fit together because not all of it was chronological in the Bible. So it's kind of interesting, and you can kind of try to piece it together, figure it out when you study history as well. Um, nations going back and forth, and now they're fighting. So they're back at war. Maybe Naaman's involved. We don't know. We're not told about him, if, whether he's fighting or not. But the Israelites and the Arameans are fighting. And what's going on, we're going to be introduced to these two towns, Samaria, the capital of Israel, and Dothan, where we'll see today where Elisha is maybe staying or living at the time. And the Arameans are wanting to destroy Israel. So the king of Aram decides, okay, we've got to send some secret raiding parties to attack the Israelite army when they're not looking. So that's what he does. He sends out all these different divisions to um, attack the Israelite armies when they're least expecting it. But what happened over and over and over again is the Israelites knew where they were. No matter what the Arameans did to uh, have subterfuge and espionage, wherever their forces were, the Israelites could find them. And this was happening over and over again. So the king of Aram, because he had only talked to his inner circle of generals, he was like, there's got to be a rat. Somebody in my inner circle is a mole. So he just knew somebody is leaking this information. Somebody in the government's leaking stuff out. That, that happens from time to time, right? So that's what's going on. Or so the king of Aram leaves. But then his generals say, no, 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 no. We're loyal because we're afraid to lose our lives. If you find out we're the ones leaking information, we're going to be beheaded. So they said, no, no, no. It isn't us. They, in fact, had the intelligence and they knew that what was happening was that there was a man in Israel who was telling the king and the Israelite generals every time where the Arameans were. He just knew. The, the generals in Aram were saying to the king, hey, he even knows what you say in your bedroom. And that, of course, is the man, Elisha. See, uh, Elisha is God's prophet. God spoke to him and would tell him things. And God knows all things. Even what you say in the privacy of your bedroom or, or in the privacy of the, these generals' meetings. So Elisha was feeding this information to the Israelite king, saying, hey, this is where they're going to attack. This is where they're going to be every time he was right. So the king in Aram is ticked. He says, it's time to kill Elisha. Because if we kill him, then we can win. We can win the war. If we take out their best weapon, you know, they don't even need any spices. If we just take out that one guy, we can win. So that's what he does. He sends all his soldiers, his army, to Dothan, where Elisha is staying. The armies of Samaria are probably all stationed, or of Israel are probably all stationed here in Samaria, in the capital. 
So we, we're told in this story, it's a small town of Dothan, that there's Elisha and his servant. Maybe there was a few other people living there, but there's no military force. And Elisha, of course, is the prophet. He's like the pastor to the nation, and he has his servant with him, probably a pastor in training. So Elisha is there with his pastor and associate pastor, right? These guys are buff, and they're ready to fight, right? No. No, they're not. They have no weapons. They're not ready to fight these guys. They're just two normal dudes. And now what happens is they wake up in the morning, and they are surrounded. So that's where we jump into our story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. We read, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. The servant wakes up in the morning and he sees this entire military force surrounding the town of Dothan. It's not a military stronghold. It's a small village. They're surrounded. Now, I know some of you guys have had some bad mornings, but nothing like this. Okay? You thought missing your coffee was bad. And this is a bad morning because it looks like there's no way out. And they could probably put it together. This servant knows, okay, Elijah, you've been feeding military intelligence to the king. I'm sure the Arameans don't like us. I don't think they're going to let us live. He probably could have assumed, rightly, that these Arameans had come to kill Elisha. There was no hope for them. Or so that's what he could see with his eyes, right? That's the reality, because in our lives, what we see is the diagnosis. I, I see it on the page. What we see is our bank account going into the negative. We see that our business isn't going to make it, that we're going to lose the job. We're, we're seeing what's happening to our child. I saw physically the oxygen levels of my daughter going down and down and down. We see these things with our two eyes. We sense them with all our senses and we say, is there any way out of this? And we become afraid. We're fearful. It's a normal human emotion. You know what I love about the Bible? Is that this guy is the servant of the man of God. This guy's a religious, spiritual dude. He shouldn't have any fear, right? He should have faith. He should be like, we're going to make it through. But he's just like us. And the Bible doesn't hide from the fact that there are hard things in our lives. There are times when we're like, I don't know how I can get through this. Even the most religious people in the Bible are like, they're fearful. What can we do? What shall we do? That's what the servant of the man of God says. And that happens in our own lives, too. We're fearful. How can we make it through this? Fear can even be debilitating. We become incapacitated, don't know how to think, don't know how to make decisions, don't know how to move forward. We don't even physically want to move sometimes because fear is so in control of our lives. But thankfully, God wants us to see something different. He wants us to open up our eyes to see the unseen. So in verse 16, Elisha says, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I love that line. I love that. Those who are with us, Elisha says, are more than those who are with them. Now, this servant, all that he could see was a great military force. Chariots, horses, all around them. Surrounding their village. No way out. But Elisha says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I love this because there is so much that we do not see with our eyes. 
And that's what this servant has to have his eyes open to, and that we do as well. So Elisha, then in verse 17, says that Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He got to see something that he couldn't see in the normal physical plane. His eyes were open to the supernatural, right? These are talking about angels here. Now, I had always imagined that they were kind of like surrounding the military forces, but this area of Dothan has actually been excavated by archaeologists. And what they found is Dothan was a, a town that covered about 25 acres, and it was basically on a plateau, on a hill, that raised, was raised about 200 feet from the valley around it. So what would have been happening is that all those forces were in the valley below this town of Dothan, and that the angel armies that he's seeing now are on the hill with them, surrounding Elisha and his servant. Between the enemy forces and Elisha and his servant. There they are protecting them, surrounding them. These are angels. Do you know that angels exist? The Bible talks about it. Most of us really don't know um, what angels are because we get a lot of bad information in our world about angels. Uh, so if you watch The Good Place... That's not where you should get your theology from, right? It's not from all the other angel movies and TV shows that you've seen touched by an angel. It's probably not true, right? You read all these things. In fact, the Bible says that angels are a created being created by God. They are different than humans. So the Bible says that people don't become angels. God, they're separate beings from us. And it even says an interesting thing. We're going to look at this verse in a second. But it says that humans will be made higher than the angels at the end. Right now, we're kind of lower beings, but then we'll be made higher than the angels. So we're different from them. We're not going to become angels. We're not going to get wings when we go to heaven. Sorry to burst your bubble. But let's get our theology from the Bible and not Hollywood. So in 1.14 of the book of Hebrews, it says, what are the angels? What are they? says, they are spirits sent to serve those who are going to receive salvation. So we're told that angels are these beings that serve God, but it also says, who else do they serve? Us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, angels are created to serve you. Amazing. Jesus talked about angels, and he said that for the little ones, there are multiple angels guarding them. People talk about guardian angels. Well, the Bible actually talks about more than one angel, multiple angels guarding little ones, guarding us. We're not told exactly how many angels there are, although in Revelation chapter 5 it says there are thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000, meaning there's a ton. There's a lot. We don't know how many there are, but there's these supernatural beings that we don't see. Maybe they exist on a different plane or dimension. We don't really know how that all works out. Sometimes they interact with humans. We see this throughout the Bible. Um, and they help and serve us. But sometimes, like in this story, you don't see them maybe until your eyes are open supernaturally. Like this happens. So some of us probably will never see angels, or if we do, we don't even know. It tells us later in the book of Hebrews that you may interact with an angel and you don't even know. So the point are that they are here to serve us, to help us. Um, another thing you should know about angels is that there are some angels that do not serve God. These are what are often called demons. They rebelled against God with Satan as the head of these angels um, that are fallen angels. Um, and they do not serve God. However, the Bible is very clear that there are less demons than there are angels that serve God. So that's why we can say with Elisha, right? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
those who are with us. Now, uh, another thing you should know about angels is that they're here to protect us. We're, we're taught this um, in Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, we read that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That is what God said, the, the purpose of angels. And then again, in Psalm 34, we read, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. So there's a physical era of protection that these, and a supernatural era of protection that angels provide to us. It tells us later in the Bible that what our war that we're fighting is not just against flesh and blood, but against supernatural forces that we don't see with our eyes. But thankfully, we know that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. That we know that even if we don't see it right now, God is at work because he commands the angel armies. Now, um, angels are still in operation today, even if you've never seen them, and I've never seen them. They are. Sometimes you hear stories about these a lot of times from the mission field. Um, there was a story uh, in the early 1900s. There was a female missionary, uh, Miss Monson, and she was a missionary to China. And before she had gone there, she was a teacher. So while she was serving in China, she was teaching a group of women and young children that lived in this missionary um, building, this missionary outpost there in China. Well, at the time, there was a, a lot of looters in the area. And they were coming, and they had heard that they were going to come that night to this missionary outpost to attack them, to loot them. And Miss Monson came down with malaria. So she was unable to physically move. So one of the other women at this missionary outpost said, what are you going to do when they come here? You're not going to be able to fight back. You're not going to be able to hide. And she started to pray to God because she had nothing else that she could do. And she said to God, she said, God, um, I've taught all these women and children about your promises, that you come through, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you have the power to protect us. So God, come through tonight because if you don't, I'm going to have to go home. Nobody's going to listen to me anymore. So God comes through. She prayed all night long in fear because they had heard about these looters coming. And then the next morning, nothing happened. Well, when she got better, she went out into the village and began to talk to some of the neighbors of this missionary outpost. And three different neighbors told her, Hey, who were those four men that were standing guard on top of your house? Who were those four guys? She said, We didn't have any guys there. There was nobody to protect us. It was just us women and children. Were they angels? I don't know. There's another story in 1960 that I heard from another um, missionary couple, Matt and Laura. Um, let me look up their name. Matt and Laura Higgins. They were missionaries in Kenya. And they were in Nairobi Station. And that was a, a very violent time in Kenya, if you know anything about African history, there was a big rebellion going against the British at the time. It was a very dangerous place to be. In fact, some foreign nationals had been murdered and decapitated by these rebel forces in Kenya. So uh, the Higgins were there, and they were driving out of Nairobi, and they got about 17 miles out of Nairobi, and their Land Rover broke down. They were trying to fix it, but night was coming. So they knew they would have to spend the night in their vehicle, out on the road, 17 miles from anywhere. And they were terrified, knowing what had happened. So in the news, this big rebellion was going on, so they just started praying and praying and praying and asking God for help. They made it through that terror-filled night and woke up in the morning, and there was daylight. And they were able to work on the engine, get it operating again, and, and get back into town. 
a few weeks later, they were approached by a local Kenyan pastor. And he told this guy, well, he said, hey, I just met this guy. He came in and accepted Christ and he confessed to me that he and a group of his friends that were rebels snuck up on your vehicle that night. And they were going to attack you and kill you and rob you. But there were 16 men surrounding you. So they decided to not do it. <laughs> it's too dangerous. So they said, wow. The Higgins, they said, well, there's something. That's pretty incredible. Maybe they were angels. And, and then they get back home on furlough, as missionaries do. They went home and they were talking to one of their friends there at their home church. And he said, hey, were you guys in any danger recently? And Higgins said, yeah, we really were. And they told this whole story uh, about that. And the guy says, you know, that's incredible because there was a night, there was a day that um, I just felt this burden for you guys. And I wanted to pray for you. So I called some of the leaders of our church and we all got together and had this big prayer meeting. And there were 16 of us at this prayer meeting. And he said, what day was it? He said, March 23rd. And he said, that's the day. So were those angels protecting that people? Maybe. These are pretty incredible stories. But here's the thing. We, we don't believe in angels because of those stories. Because we weren't there. We don't know. We didn't see it with our eyes, right? There's all sorts of stories that you hear about believing in this, all these different forces out there. But we don't believe any of those things because of stories we hear, but we believe them because of God's word. Billy Graham, who passed away this week, has an incredible book on angels. And I love Billy Graham. Um, and he's celebrating with the angels right now. And he wrote this book. I encourage you to read it. I, read it. It's, I think it's called Angels, <laughs> the title of the book. But if you're curious about angels, you should read that book. But in it, he says, I do not believe in angels because someone has told me about a dramatic visitation. I do not believe in angels because UFOs are astonishingly angel-like in some of their reported appearances. I do not believe in angels because ESP experts are making the realm of the spirit world seem more and more plausible. I do not believe in angels because I have ever seen one, because I haven't. I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels, and I believe the Bible to be the true word of God. For some people, they say, you know, I, I believe that there may be a God out there. Some of you are here. There's some supernatural force there, but angels, Matt, that's a little bit too much. Bridge too far for me. I don't know. I don't know if I can go that far. But if there is a God who can create the entire universe and create human beings, I think that he could also create angels, be within his power, right? And just because we haven't seen them doesn't mean they don't exist. In fact, if we do believe God's word, there are 272 references, 272 or 273, to angels in the entire Bible. So it's not just once, it's over and over and over again. And if you don't believe it for any other reason, believe it because Jesus believed in angels. And talk about him. Look at one of his references to it in a bit. The Bible talks about angels because God has a power beyond and greater than any power in the world. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And this is what Elisha and his servant got to see, and I hope that you get to see God's power as well. Now, if the story stopped right there, that's pretty good, right? Seeing these angel forces, uh, flaming horses, flaming chariots, that's pretty cool. But that's not even the most amazing part of this story. Yeah, there's more. So we pick this up again in verse 18. We read, As the enemy came down toward him. So as they're riding these chariots, these horses are coming to attack the village. You can just hear the thunderclap of the horses. 
So the Lord prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. This whole story is about what you can see and what you can't see. And all of a sudden, these forces that could see how strong and powerful they were, they're blind. Now, they probably weren't literally blind, though maybe they were sort of. But it probably means they were made stupid. Because this is what happens. Elisha yells out to them and says, Hey, you guys got the wrong town. You got the wrong person. And then he says, Just follow me. And he leads this entire army 12 miles south to Samaria. We can see it on the map. They go down 12 miles south to Samaria. And they get there where the Israelite army is waiting. They go in right into the center of town. And now they are surrounded. This says in verse 20. It says, After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. So now they are the ones surrounded. So the king of Israel says, okay, can I kill them? <laughs> can I slaughter them? We, we got them now. We can win this war. And Elisha says, no. He says, no, because it was God who brought this military victory. So he says, no, this is what you're going to do instead. Give them a meal. Give them a meal. So that's what the Israelite king does. He puts out a feast for the enemy forces. And they hang out. They eat a meal together. And they make peace. And the Aramean army goes home. The war is over. I think that's the most incredible part of this story. The angel armies, that's cool. You know, that, that gets the special effects right. Just imagining those chariots of fire, those horses of fire. But this is even more amazing because now God has shown his power by winning a war without a battle ever being fought. That's how powerful our God is. And I love that because we can see that in our own lives. That things seem so hard, so difficult. How do I get through? I'm surrounded. I don't see any hope. All I see is the bad things. But then God says, no, no, no. Even if you can't see it now, I'm at work. Even if you can't see it with your own eyes, I'm at work and I have the power to conquer over everything. That's what God showed me that night uh, last January, January 5th. When I was praying, I don't see how any way the oxygen levels are going down and down and down. The pediatrician finally got there and, and calmly talked to Melissa and I and said, you know, we're going to need to put McKinley on the ventilator. And I was like, do it! Do it, do it! They put her on the ventilator and within a few hours she was able to breathe with the help of this machine. And then she recovered and she hasn't had any issues since. You know, it turned out she had pneumonia and, and the antibiotics were able to knock it out and she's better you know, I was terrified. I was fearful. I didn't see a way out, but God had a way out. If you're saying, well, Matt, wasn't it the doctors? Wasn't it the, the nurse that did all that work? Yeah. But God was at work in that. God was at work through those things. And that's often how it goes in our lives. We don't see it physically. We may never see those angels. We may never see exactly how God is at work, but he is behind the scenes. So God does. And the most amazing thing, because some of us still struggle, man, I don't know if I believe in all that supernatural power, all that supernatural force, but the amazing thing is that God said, hey, I want you to see how I am, who I'm like. So he sent his own son, Jesus. He tells us in Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
That's what it tells us. We can see God as we read and study and learn about Jesus. Because God has all power in the universe, and he empties himself to show us love and compassion and be among us. And what's even more amazing about Jesus is that he knew about all the power of the angels. He had been with God for eternity. He had angels serving and worshiping him. And yet on the night he was betrayed, Peter, one of his servants, took out his sword. Do you remember this story? Peter takes out his sword and chops off one of the uh, arresting guy's ears. And Jesus goes and heals his ear. And he says this in Matthew 26. He says, put your sword back into its place. Do you not realize that I could call on my father and at once he would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? He said, I have all that power. My father is that powerful. He's at work even if you don't see it. But I am going to win this war without fighting. And then Jesus went humbly to the cross and he died in our place and he conquered over death. He conquered over sin and he conquered over the devil without fighting a battle. That's the power of God. And that power is at work even if we don't see it. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with or or suffering through. If you're afraid and you're like, I don't know how I can get through this or maybe you're going to have that situation come up in your life. All that you see is the diagnosis. All you see is, is things breaking up and falling apart in your life. God is at work, has the power to work through it. Even if you don't see it now, God is at work. Let's pray. God, we believe in you, and sometimes it's hard when we don't see things. When, when life is hard, when we are fearful, we don't see a way out. When, when we don't see the angels around us, Lord, it's hard to believe sometimes, and I pray that you would help us see even what we cannot see. That we begin to believe and have faith in your supernatural power. That we would understand that you know all things, that you have angel armies at your command, and that you can win any war, any battle in our life without fighting at all. You have all power in this world, Lord. You are great. And we're so thankful for that. Give us faith and help us overcome fear. Amen. Amen.